Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. Our, our long-form evaluation of David Poyle's career continues. Volume number two today on the show. If you missed it last week, please go back and check it out. We talked about um, all of the... like. How, first of all, how do you evaluate a GM as an expansion GM? Then through all the rule changes and the strikes and the work stoppages. And then when he started making coaching changes is sort of our line of demarcation that, that at least I settled on. Uh, so we did a lot of, of, of evaluating... Uh, David Poyle in terms of his trade ability, because for a big part of his career, he was considered very dangerous to trade with. And so go back and listen to that uh, that episode. That is our first volume of how to evaluate David Poyle, our summer series. Uh, of course, you can follow along on the website, Nashville Hockey Now. You've got the best trades and the worst trades up there on the website. We will continue this series come in coming weeks with coaching changes and free agency, which are two big ones as well. But today drafting we focus on the best draft picks of all time the worst draft picks of all time the best draft classes of all time and the worst draft classes of all time and i think we'll have some evaluation of david poyle's ability to draft players sometime at the end of the pod that all being said michael gallagher the gold standard is brought to you by our amazing friends over at jaspers that was nice. I like that. Was that. multiple I, words. You like that? I do, I do appreciate a complete sentence every now and then. No, listen. Uh, Jaspers is amazing. That's it. That's it. Uh, Jaspers. They are. Would be, Jaspers is, is a number one overall pick. That's what Jaspers is. Uh, you you would not trade. You would you would trade Martin Erat for Jaspers is what you would do. Uh, number would. one pick. Number one pick. Uh, no, free parking. Centrally located right there in the middle of town, of course. Uh, you can get to it from anywhere. No matter where you're coming in from, if you're working downtown, it's a great place for a work lunch or a happy hour. Uh, it's a great place to watch, I don't know, the greatest soccer player of all time on Saturday night. If you need to find a place to watch that. And you, you ain't getting tickets to that. Uh, I can tell you the story, and I'm going to tell it on some other pods as well. I So my, I have season tickets, and I got my two tickets for like the 40 bucks. My wife and I currently have a, de- a decision to make. <laughs> do you want to watch Messi play, or do you want to make some money? Man, 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 man. And I tried to go in and buy some. Uh, this is not a this is not a soccer pod, but I tried to go in and buy some uh, as a season ticket holder. You got like early access on, on Wednesday and I had like two picked out, but it was like seven hundred dollars for two tickets. And they were like some of the cheapest you could find. And I was like, I was like, ah, it's going to be risky to resell these. Uh, I went back and looked at the section that they were in now, like two hours later, not even two hours later. I did not purchase them. Not even two hours later. It's like $1,500 a ticket. I was like, damn it. <laughs> um, go, go to Jasper. <laughs> go, to, go, to, go to Jasper's. And I'm going to go to Jasper's and drink my uh, sorrows away with some good cheap beer, uh, some good menu items, good sight lines to watch games, a free parking, a great game room. It's it's got something for everybody, man. It's the next evolution of the sports bar. You guys know all about Jasper's, so go check out Jasper's. Okay, so I thought we'd start with the worst stuff here because there are certainly some really incredible draft classes that David Poyle has put together, some really incredible draft picks, namely like the three or four greatest players in franchise history are, are like all Tom Brady's, basically. One of whom has a statue outside Bridgestone Arena. Yeah, he's Tom, He's a Tom Brady draft pick. He's a Tom Brady draft pick. It is just no other real way to explain it relative to the Predators franchise. He's a Tom Brady draft pick. So we'll get to best a little bit later. We'll finish on a high note. But I did find doing the research for the worst draft classes to be absolutely hysterical uh, and depressing all at the same time. Uh, So let's start with the players first before we get into a big discussion about the draft classes, uh, because the (laughs) players, I find the players to be easier to analyze because you can just say total numbers of games played with how high you were drafted and be like, that's it. So who you have, why don't you go ahead and go through the list and then I'll, you say the name and I will say how many games that person played in the NHL. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the five worst draft picks, my number one has to be Brian Finley. I, I don't see any other way around it. I don't know how you could put anyone higher. Brian Finley, I think is the biggest singular disappointment in predators draft history he was picked sixth overall the he the only two players picked higher than brian finley were david leg one in 1998 and seth jones in 2013 in 1999 brian finley was picked sixth he played a grand total 
of four NHL games, and he lost twice. <laughs> he was a goaltender, by the way. He went he went zero and two for his career. Only NHL. made two appearances for the Predators. Oh, absolutely insane! Hard to argue that. Can't argue that. Four four games played in the NHL, sixth overall pick, complete and total bust. Probably the worst pick in franchise history. All right, what else you got? Who's number two? <laughs> so number two, I put Ryan Perrant just because, I mean, in his draft year, he was one of the top three or four, I think, rated, highly rated defensemen, and I understand why they picked him, but didn't end up playing for the Predators. I think he played four seasons for the Flyers and one for the Canucks, and he was out of the NHL after five seasons. Uh, Ryan Perrant was picked 18th overall. And he played 106 games, and I believe this was in the um, the 2005 draft. Uh, I'll have to go double check how many how many games did you say he played for the Preds? Uh, I can look that up real fast. But he didn't play any for the Preds. Oh my God, zero games. All right, that yeah, that's he, yeah. Play. He was traded with uh, Scotty Upshaw, I believe, in 2007. Okay, speaking of Scotty Upshaw, <laughs> yeah, he was he was traded with Scotty Upshaw, a uh, first rounder and a third rounder. Uh, for Peter Forsberg, which I understand, but also, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about worst draft picks. Ryan Perron didn't really do anything in the NHL and he didn't do anything for the Predators. That's why he's number two. Okay. Number three. Number three, Scotty Upshaw. Another, another high draft pick. And just, I think, I think he just was a big disappointment. I think he played three seasons for the Predators and he never had more than 23 points in a season. So, Okay, so this is going to get us into, a, a, I think, a philosophical discussion about how we evaluate this stuff. Because I know you, you we're going to get to Ellie Tolvanen's draft class here in a minute. Yeah, and I will I will say, Scotty Upshaw had some pretty solid seasons for the Flyers, for the Coyotes. He just he just didn't work out in Asheville. Well, so that that's my question. That doesn't make him a bad draft pick. That makes, it, that makes the team bad at either developing him or deciding what to do with him in the future. So we'll get to, like, Ellie Tolvanen is the perfect example of this. Ellie Tolvanen, at the, as the 30th overall pick and the number one in the first round in 2017, was a fantastic draft pick. He was, comp- they, they completely screwed it up after that, right? Like, I, so I don't know if I can put, like, Upshaw played a grand total of almost 800 NHL games. And if you would have developed him in 2002, he was drafted sixth overall. If he would have played all 800 of those games for a Predator, we'd be saying that was a hell of a draft pick, right? Right? Yeah. Don't you have to factor in the like it? What you did with him after the fact, I feel like, is separate from the decision to draft him at that time. Right? Does I that feel make like sense? I feel like yeah, I feel like the discussion of what they turned into after they were drafted is different than what my criteria for the worst draft picks in, in franchise history. Basically, was just what do they do for the Predators? I look at it. Scotty Upshaw played 77 games for the Predators, scored 28 points. Therefore, I consider him a very big draft bust. But he did go on to have some solid years in the NHL, played 759 games, 280 points. He was a solid player, but he did nothing for the Predators. I mean, he brought Peter Forsberg back, but Forsberg wasn't here that long. So, like, that's my problem, though. Like, that doesn't change the decision. That I, I think you have to separate the second you make the draft pick. It, but you you have to evaluate was Scotty Upshaw worth being taken at, as the sixth overall pick, and may, certainly you you would argue his career he, he didn't live up to that expectation. I would say the exact same thing about Colin Wilson, six hundred and thirty two games played, seventh pick overall. There's no chance he lived up to the hype of being the seventh overall pick, but it doesn't mean that it was one of the worst. Like let's get to your number four name on the list. Oh, who I, I agree. Think, who I think I is agree, absolutely but also... number three. But also looking at Scotty Upshaw, players that were drafted not too far after him. Oh, I don't want to do that. Lovell, Alexander Semin. There were a couple other players that would have made better choices. But yeah, no, no question. Eight hundred games is a lot of games. So I did, that's the only one I disagree on here because I would put this next guy up at number three. But go, who's number four on your list? Number four, I have Chet Pickard. And after everybody loves <laughs> Chet Pickard, after taking a step away, get, catching a breath, and looking at this, I probably would have moved Pickard up to four and Upshaw down a little bit. Because Pickard did not play for the Predators. He I think he had two seasons with the Milwaukee Admirals, didn't even make it in the NHL. And 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 you look at some of the goalies that they could have drafted instead of Chet Picker. Chet Picker was the first goalie off the board. They oh. could have had Jacob Markstrom, Braden Holtby, Jake Allen, other other skaters they could have had, Jordan Eberly, John Carlson, Travis Hominick. I mean, I feel like this was one of the worst blunders David Boyle made 
and, and I get it. It was your second first round pick. It was a kind of a luxury. You didn't you didn't have to necessarily hit on it. But if you're spending the 18th overall pick on somebody, you need to do better than Chet Pickard. Chet Pickard never, like, as you said, never played in the NHL. 18th overall selection in 2008, which means and and honestly, if you want to go ahead and get to your your last one here uh, at number five, I, it is it is interesting to look at the first round picks that they've had in 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 totality under David Poyle. And the guys who have not yet played in the NHL or never played a game in the NHL, Zachary LaRue, Tanner Molendyke, Fedor Svechkov, uh, Joachim Kemmel, Matthew Wood, guys that aren't here yet but are expected to be here. Yeah. Uh, As- Askarov's only played one game, but he's already played in the NHL. Finley played four. Uh, y- you mentioned, uh, and Pickard played zero. Like they're the literally, Pickard is the only first round draft pick that David Poyle has ever selected outside of guys that aren't there yet that did not make it to the NHL. He's the only one Chet Pickard. Yeah. And he was, he was, he was hyped a lot in his draft year. They were, I mean, there was, there was a reason he was the first goalie off the board, but he, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was just a bad organizational fit, whatever's going on in his personal life. It just, it didn't work out for Chet Pickard. And that, that pick looks really, really bad right now. Okay. Who's your number five? Number five is I think a fan favorite. I know Gover, Gover loves Jonathan Blum. That's why I have a number five, um, just because for a while he was after with with the reputation the Predators had as as this defensive factory. It, it was just almost assumed that Jonathan Blum was going to be the next Ryan Suter, the next Shea Weber. He was supposed to be Roman Yossi before Roman Yossi became a thing. And for a while he was he was mentioned anytime the Predators were mentioned, any trade speculation. Jonathan Blum was the player that was going back because he was the, the can't miss defensive prospect. And it, as we saw. He played 91 games for the Predators at 22 points before he joined the Minnesota Wild. And he was out of the league after that. I think he had two seasons after he left the Predators. And looking at some of the players that they could have had in the first round, Michael Backlund, David Perron. And I also, I put Blum on this list because as great as the Predators scouting staff was, and this is more of a scouting issue than David Boyle, I guess. Uh, as great as the Predators scouting staff is at, at identifying talent, particularly in defensemen, how do you take Jonathan Blum in the first round with PK Subban sitting there not going until round two? That just baffled me. For a team that's <laughs> supposed to, that's your specialty is supposed to be identifying NHL caliber defensemen. You take Jonathan Blum and PK Subban goes around later. I don't understand it. So they've only picked in the top 10 seven times. That's David Legwan, Seth Jones, number two, number four. They took Brian Finley, as we mentioned, biggest bust in franchise history at six overall. Scott Hartnell at six overall in 2000. Scotty Upshaw at six overall in 2002. I think Upshaw's five on this list, and I think there's a Mount Rushmore of busts because Upshaw, again, wasn't technically a full bust. He was a bust for Nashville, but he wasn't necessarily a bust of a draft pick. Ryan Suter was seventh overall. Colin Wilson, seventh overall. That's it. Th- those are your names. Uh, Colin Wilson played over 500 games in a Nashville Predator sweater. So we, we'll get to that draft class in, in a little bit. But then you keep going like Ryan Ellis, 11th overall. Pretty good pick. Kevin Fiala, 11th overall. Uh, Askarov, 11th overall. Dan Hamus played almost 1,200 games in the <laughs> NHL. A lot of it elsewhere. I think he played half that roughly about 600 here. Uh, 12th I think overall. I gave you I think I gave you my dishonorable mention and I put Magnus Helberg and, and Blake <laughs> Jeffrey on in there. You, I mean, you could even those are second rounders. Yeah. You could even debate whether Austin Watson belongs in there. And the reason I didn't put Helberg and Jeffrey on in there is because they were second rounders. But with your with your first picks in the draft, you would like them to at least yeah. be contributors. Jeffrey on, you feel bad with the skull fracture that he couldn't really help that. Yeah. But I mean, Magnus Helberg was supposed to be the next UC Soros. And then for whatever reason, it didn't work out. And he ends up playing a couple games for the Rangers and Red Wings and stuff. And I, it's and I I. I almost put Helberg in there just because like defensemen, the Predators must be really good at identifying and developing goalies and they whiffed on Magnus Helberg. I don't know. There was just, there's, there, yeah. this is my, I said, I should say this is my top five. Surely other people are going to have differing, differing opinions and that's fine. There, I mean, there's a lot of single individual players that could be yeah. in the top five worst David Boyle draft picks of all time. It, that that just goes just like there could be a there could be a couple others that would be in the top five for the best. I think yeah, I think yeah. our top five is pretty unanimous, but there's there's other guys you can make a case for as well. Uh, Helberg played 23 games, 38th overall pick. Jonas Anderson in 1999 was the 33rd overall pick, so that'd be one of the first two or three picks in the draft at the time in the second round. Only played nine games, so he would also be considered a complete and total bust. But I I do think it's different. Like to me. Our top five might be the same names. I, I would not have Upshaw probably in there. I think guys that didn't play 
at all and didn't net you anything in return. I think the guy, again, 759 games played, got you Forsberg. I think there's some value in that draft pick that makes him not a complete and total bust, but I think it's absolutely correct that that Brian Finley's one. I might have Chet Pickard two, but Ryan Perron is three and Jonathan Blum is four. Like to me, those are the that's the Mount Rushmore because they're all they're the four first round busts. Like Austin Watson is more in the Colin Wilson category and the and the Scotty Upshaw category, which is they're not total busts. They weren't great. They didn't live up to their hype, but they're not to me, they're not total bust, if that makes sense. I, I think you've convinced me. I, I would when I when the story comes out <laughs> in Nashville hockey now. Oh, okay, all right. It'll probably be Finley, Pickard, Perrant, Blum, and, and then Upshaw. No, I don't want to. I don't want to wag the dog here. Uh, you do what you need to do. I, I, I those. No, four, I, I just I, you asked Finley's me for, number for one. The, Finley's yeah. number one. You asked me for the five best and five worst. I hadn't actually written the story, so I just did this on the fly. Now that I've had time to digest this, I see there's a better order for this. So this I, you're helping. You're 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 my de facto editor for the story. All right, I like that. All I'm hearing is excuses, is what I'm hearing. Uh, go to Jasper's, of course, everybody. Where it's never a bust. It's always a a, a tremendous value. Um, you get tremendous value for your money. Zero dollars parking wise. Um, th- there are some like again. I think there's the middle ground. Like there's the elite hits. And we'll get to some of those guys. There's a lot of young, like you, what's really interesting is they've only selected. I don't have the, the number total here, but it looks like they've only selected in the first round, like 27 players or something like that. I'm, I can do the math real quickly, but I mentioned LaRue, Molendike, Svechkov, uh, Kemmel, Wood, like those guys haven't had a chance to make it. And then Iskarov's only played the one game. So basically you have like a third of all of your first round draft picks in history all in your farm system right now. <laughs> yeah. I, when we talk about the five best draft picks, they're obviously they're limited to like the last, you know, more, more recently, but we could do this exercise in 10 years and there could be three or four guys that were drafted in the last three years that could be on this list too. And it's it, it, I, finding doing the best draft classes and worst draft classes than the best and worst individual draft picks. David Hard. Poyle has been really good. At, it, it showed me that he and the scouting department are really good at finding really good late round players. They really struggled kind of in the first round to hit. That means their best draft picks have, have been in the later rounds. That that is true. I will say this: they uh, they've they've had twenty four first round picks, uh, twenty four of them. And again, Larue, Molendike, Tomasino counts technically too. Svechkov. Um, and then Kemmel, Wood, and Askarov. That's eight. That's one third, seven. That's one third, basically, of your entire first round picks all time are in your farm system currently on their way to your roster. That that is a, yeah. a that is a important piece. And this is what Trotzy was talking about when he was like, I can't believe I just put a Y on his name. I'm sorry to all of you. Barry Trotz. This is what Barry Trotz <laughs> said, I think, early on when he said we could have like four or five first round picks playing in Milwaukee next year. This is this is what he's talking about. And the totality of, of David Poyle's picks right now, as things stand, he's only drafted with the Predators. He's only drafted six all-stars. That number could easily double by the time the last three or four draft classes get to the NHL and start producing. You're talking first, just first round picks. No, just oh, total all-stars out, out of the 200 and whatever players David oh Poyle God. drafted with the Predators, only six became all-stars. Holy smokes. That's wild. I will say, though, that when he's needed to hit on big names, more often than not, especially in that top 15 or so or the top 20, they've been pretty good. Uh, again, Pickard, uh, Pickard was 18th. Perrant was 18th. Jonathan Blum, 23rd. But if you look at, you know, Dante Fabro at 17th overall in 2016 is going to be an interesting one that if he ends up playing for like eight more years as a predator, that'll go down as a pretty valuable, pretty solid draft pick. But really, it's like Matthew Wood and and up. Matthew Wood, Rattleoff, Hamus, Askarov, Fiala, Ellis. Wilson, Suter, Upshaw, Hartnell, Finley, Jones, Leguan. Only one in there is a total whiff, really. So I there's there's some that weren't that didn't play out as well as others, but basically only one time in the top 15 as David Poyle in 25 years missed, truly whiffed and busted on a top draft pick. And that was 1999 with Brian Finley. So there you go. Go to Jaspers. <laughs> Uh, last quick note, uh, Michael, on this, just just to to drive home the Scotty Upshaw point, point even further of every single player ever drafted by David Poyle in the Nashville Predators. Only 10 players have played more NHL games than Scotty Upshaw. Just want to throw it out there. Interesting little nugget. 
He's number 11. Now, not again, not all these. Can, here's, a, here's a trivia question. Can you name the five players that David Poyle has drafted that played over 1,000 games in the NHL? I cannot off the top of my head. Uh, Ryan Suter is number one, 1,362 games. Scott Hartnell is number two, 1,249. Dan Hamus is number three, 1,148. David Leguan, 1,136. And uh, Shea Weber, 1,038 games. There you go. Only five guys that have played a thousand games or more um, <laughs> since as, as a David Poyle draft pick. Again, of course, many of them not all here uh, in Nashville. OK, draft classes for 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 worse draft classes. Now, I, I do. You can kind of lay out your 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 list here. It's on the website, Nashville Hockey Now. Make sure you follow along. I, I do have a philosophical question for you. Why don't you tell everybody number one, because I probably agree with number one, but. I think there's a debate to be had about how you go about evaluating the draft classes. Yeah. So uh, my number one was the 2006 draft class. Um, And mostly because of just didn't have a first round pick. Your top pick was Blake Jeffrey on in the second round. And like I mentioned earlier, he was traded. He had the skull fracture. He didn't end up playing very long in the NHL. You can't really, can't really help that. Um, But I just look at, other than that, I mean, you had Blake Jeffrey on the second round, Nico Snellman in the fourth round, Mark Dekanich in the fifth round, Ryan Flynn in the sixth round, and Victor Shojin, Shodin, I don't know, I butchered that, um, in the seventh round. And you, you look at the totality of that draft class, nobody made an impact. Mark Dekanich played one game in the NHL for the Predators, and that was it. Blake Jeffrey on, um, I think he... He had a handful of points here or there. Let me pull it up real quick. Sorry, I'm doing this on the fly. Uh, he so had, two he had eight, eight goals, five assists, 13 points, 55 games played yeah. overall all time. And and again, wasn't he? He's a Franklin kid, a Nashville kid, went to Wisconsin, won the Hobie Baker Award. Yeah, was grew up in Brentwood. He was he was kind of looked at as being the first Nashville area hockey player to really make yeah. it big. Six, six goals, 11 points and 42 games with the Predators. Mm. Uh, that, that's why I have them number one on my list, just because they didn't really contribute much of anything. And I know, I know number two is probably going to be a hot button for you, but I, I have my reasons, but well, for now- so I, I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to do this. I, I, I might have a personal opinion that might be different. Cause I think you're right. You can also, it, you can also evaluate these different ways too. I mostly yes. looked at the impact they made on the franchise, not, yeah. not the players they became after they left the franchise, stuff like that. I looked at, they were drafted to help the predators. What impact did they have on the predators when they were here? Right. Like, so that goes back to our previous conversation about, in the moment drafting X player was like Seth Jones was a tremendous draft pick, but he didn't do a ton for the franchise. I, I yeah. think you have, but, but still an incredibly smart and good draft pick. I think there's, there's two, there's also two ways to look at draft classes. There is sort of total production, which in this case, I think you're right is the least productive draft class in the history of the franchise. Like just total games played. I don't think there's a per player even right. 56 total games played in the NHL, as you mentioned, like 44 total for the Preds. That's a half a season from an entire draft class. That is, there's no other draft class in the history of David Poyle that even comes close. 2011 might be one of the other worst ones, but we'll get to that one in, in a second. Um, there's just not. Like, you can go through, and you can't really judge. It's it's harder to judge some of the more recent ones. But here's my here's my question, though. Then you could, you could also discuss, this is the same thing with trades. That we talked about last week. When you take a bigger swing and a bigger risk and it works, I give you more credit than when you trade like a seventh round pick and a defenseman that's from the AHL to get a draft pick that ends up being Pecorine, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, and, my, and my value. So, like 2006, they do not have a number one or a number three pick. So, to me, you could also argue, well, that devalues their ability to accomplish anything. They did not accomplish anything <laughs> in that in that draft class. It was the worst, the least productive draft class in, in franchise history, no question. But they also didn't have a number one or a number three. Like we're going to get to your number three class on this list, which is 2018, which again, not a lot of production. Uh, I think total of eight games played in the NHL. It was only four players, and they didn't have a single first, second, or third round pick. So I don't know how you evaluate that versus, and I'm going to. We'll, we'll get to 1999 here in a second <laughs> uh, and a few other classes. Like, I don't know how you, when you have a ton of extra capital, a bunch of extra first, bunch of extra seconds, whatever, 
and it still doesn't work, isn't that worse than if you have none of those picks? You were does that make does that does that question make sense? Yeah, no, I get it. And it's I think it just comes down to personal preference and what you value more. It seems like to me, and that for the purposes of this exercise, I'm valuing putting more of an emphasis on the contributions they made to the Predators, whereas you're kind of looking at what did that player accomplish in the NHL in total? There's and, and I'm not saying one is right or the other. I, I think it's just it just comes down to the person and what their personal preference is. Well, and it's not even that I'm evaluating just what happens to the Preds even. It's like, okay, so let's go to 1999 here. Unless you want to go down your list, if you're if you're following at home, you can you can throw out 2017 if you want um, at, at number two. But like 1999 is you did not have on your list. And I have I, I, I think I could argue it's number one, but it's all about how you argue it. And first of all, their number one pick sixth overall, Brian Finley. So we already said he's the worst draft pick ever. Jonas Anderson was their second round pick. Nine games played total. One of the other worst draft picks in franchise history. But here's the problem. They had five second round picks <laughs> and got largely no players. So they had... Here's what's crazy about 1999. They had a first round pick, five seconds, a third, and two fourths. And got a grand total out of those nine draft picks. All top four round picks. Six of whom are first and second rounders. They got a grand total of 121 games played in Predator sweaters. But you know what else they got out of that draft class? They got Martin Erat, Martin Erat. 481 points, and you eventually got Philip Forsberg because of Martin Erat. That's the I, only I reason. Know. I, know. I, I put it as an honorable mention because of that, because Brian Finley and Adam Hall and Andrew Hutchinson, all these guys that were first and second rounders were so bad. But it's hard to take, it's hard to put that in the top five when you have one player, that one gem like Martin Erat, who almost had 500 career points for the Predators, I know, I know. and eventually brought you back Philip Forsberg. That's the only reason that kept him out of the top five. But I do. To your point, yes, it, it looks very bad when you have six total picks in the first two rounds and none of those guys end up making contribution to your team at all. Like that's an utter failure on David Poyle's part and the scouting department. But like, you, sure, you, hit, you hit on one of your one of your two seventh rounders, saved your draft class almost 500 points out of a seventh rounder. That in itself is oppressive. No, I know. And, and honestly, the other one that might be... Um, the other one that I would like kind of because there's there were some draft classes in there like 2003. They had uh, they took Ryan Suter with a one. They had three twos, four threes and two fours. Now they got some, some pretty good players in that draft class. So they're not that one's not a, a, a up for debate. But there was also like, <laughs> like seven picks in the third and fourth round that they got nothing out of. Not, well, I look like, at the 2003 class and like, yeah, you missed on like what four of your all four of your third round picks but you got ryan Suter, kevin klein and shea weber you got, right, you, got right. the, you got the foundation of your defense right. that was there for seven or eight years i think what's fat the fascinating one is the yossi class like if if not for and we'll get to this because i think you know we'll get to the good classes here in a second but if it's not for roman yossi in the 2008 class i think you you had two first round picks yes colin wilson played 500 games here but like was he worth the seventh overall pick then you also had Chet Picard our, of, of previous conversations, fame and fortune. And then your fifth round pick never played a game. Sixth round pick never played a game. Seventh round pick never played a game. Yes, you did get a, a few games out of Andres Lindback in, in the round seven. But if Colin Wilson is your best pick and he's the seventh overall pick, but again, that's not what happened. You got Roman Yossi in the, in the second round. <laughs> so we'll get to that. All right, go go through your list here. Go, go through your list of worst draft classes. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, like we said, number one was the 2006 class headlined by Blake Jeffrion and Mark Dukanich. Um, They accounted for 11 points in 42 games and one goaltending appearance with an 880 save percentage. That was pretty bad. Number two, the one I think I'm probably going to get the most flack for, I have the 2017 draft class. And it, it's fairly recent, so I think a lot of a lot of people, it's fresh in their minds. But Ellie Tolvanen, first round pick, Grant Mismash, round two, David Ferentz, round three, Tomas Vamochka, round five. Pavel Koltagin, round six, Jacob Paquette, round seven. I put that in there because, and I, I said this at the in the very beginning of, of my explanation here, was David Poyle's bungling of the Ellie Tolvanen situation, how he he was supposed to be the first elite forward this team's ever had. It was such a gift that he fell. A top 10 projected pick fell to you at number 30. And basically, David Poyle chose to, he chose John Hines over Ellie Tolvanen. And it, it sucks that it ended up that way because it looks like Tolvanen's going to be a good player in Seattle. Um, but that's not the only reason. Grant Mish, Grant, Grant Mismash, sorry, second round pick, 
didn't really do anything here. He was traded with Philip Myers. He brought you back Ryan McDonough. Okay, but like that that's that's fine. David Ferentz didn't do anything. He he made it. I think he played two games and he was basically just let go. And then he's he I think he signed with the Toronto Marlies yesterday. Uh, Tomas Vomachka was supposed to be a really good goaltending prospect, and he's over in Chechia. The reason that I put this at number two, like I said, because of what Ellie Tolvin was and was supposed to be, and they just completely ruined whatever trajectory he was on here. Your second round pick, you didn't get anything out of, and I don't think Grant Mismash is going to be an NHL player. But you had Tolvanen, Mismash, Ferentz, and Vomachka at one point. Your four top picks from that draft class were rated in your top 10 organizational prospects, I think, in 2018 by The Athletic. And all of them, you, you got nothing back for any of them except for Mismash, who brought you back, Brian McDonough. So yeah. not only did they not contribute to the Predators, but they didn't really they weren't didn't really serve as a purpose to bring back other pieces as well. I, I agree with this one <clears throat> to some to some extent. I don't think I'd have it this high because you can't argue that drafting Ellie Tolvanen was a bad decision. Like that's that's my just that's my problem is that drafting Ellie Tolvanen was the right decision. It's everything they did with Ellie Tolvanen after that that was the wrong decision. But you're right. David Ferentz at one point was one of the top defense prospects in the farm system two games in NHL history. You, you he had about, a highlight real goal in the World Junior yeah. Championships a couple years ago, and then he was hyped as this next big. This ne- he was supposed to be the next Ryan Ellis because he was quick, he was shifty, right, he had a good right. shot. He played he played forward in college. He was supposed to be this next great Preds defenseman, and then he just disappeared. Well, and and honestly, and you've got 2018 on here at number three, which again is four players that played a grand total of eight games, but again, not a single first, second, or third round pick. So I don't know what I mean. You shouldn't expect those guys to come up and contribute. But again, if you're talking about total production to the team, nothing, they got nothing out of that class, but I don't and think I, and I get that. My, my thinking with that too, is the fact that you did not have a pick in the first three rounds that also factors into it. You traded those draft picks away. You decided that they weren't that important to you. The fact that you only had four picks in that draft class and your first pick came in round four. I think that says a lot about what they were doing and what that's why I put it at number three, because not only did Joachim Kondalik, Spencer Stastny, Vladislav, Yeryomenko, and Milan Klauschek not do anything. And I think Spencer Stastny is going to be he's good. He's got a chance. Yeah, he's got a chance. I, I have him as my number 10 prospect in the Preds, in the Preds system. Um, but he's going to be the only one that will amount to anything. I don't think Kondalik, and we and I've talked about this with Alex Doherty at Development Camp the last two years. Kondalik, it seems like he's been around forever and hasn't done anything. He hasn't stood out. He hasn't played anything more than a fourth-line role in Milwaukee. Yeryomenko and Klaus Cech, I don't think, are, are coming over here. I think they're content with where they are overseas. So Spencer Stassi is the only one that's going to amount to anything. I yeah. think yeah. You, you you don't have a lot of pieces to work with in that class, but the fact that you did not pick in the first three rounds, like it's also your fault that you didn't pick until the, for, until the fourth round. Well, so but, I factored that in there as well. Right, but that would be then... like So this. So I think what's interesting is the 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, that four-year draft class window where they were trading a lot of top picks because they were going for it to me i think that's evaluating him as a tradesman not a drafter because when you start the draft you just have the picks that you've got i also don't think the story is written yet on those four draft class as a group because that those are the four draft classes that frankly put us put the preds in the situation that they were in when they had a completely empty farm system and if you go back, I think 2015 is fascinating because it's Yakov Trenin in the second round, Tommy Novak in the third, Alex Carrier in the fourth, and then a, and a couple of other guys. Like if those three players end up being stables of the franchise for the next five to seven years, well, that draft class will look pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. You know, in 2016, Sam Girard has already netted you Kyle Turris, but like that was considered the worst trade in in, in David Poyle history. So hey, that's, that's not a good thing. But a great draft pick, though. Like it was a great draft pick in the second round to draft Sam Gerard. Rem Pitlick, I, I think we all agree, should have been better, but it didn't turn out that way. So that can't be considered a great pick. And Dante Fabro, as a first rounder, is sort of still kind of like Carrier. We think he's got a chance to play here for a while, but at what level, we don't know yet. And then Tolvanen, and then you mentioned Stasny. So, like, it's that four years. And then anything after that, I don't think we can really judge. Like the next class, you've got. You know, you, in 2019, you got Tomasino, Afanasiev, and Parson. And like, we, we just can't write that story yet. So, yeah. I, and my, I think- my counterpoint to all that is the reason why the 2018 class and the 2017 class is, is in there is in these rankings because they're, other than the eight games that Spencer Stastny had last year, you have nothing to show for any of those picks. 
uh, unless you unless you want to count yeah. Ryan McDonough for the Grant mismatch trade. You look at 2016. Dante Fabro is a key part of this blue line, whether the fans want to admit it or not. <laughs> Dante Fabro is a key part yeah, no, of Predators' defense. I wouldn't be surprised if he was a top four defenseman this year. Yeah, you traded Sam Girard for Kyle Terrace, and that kind of blew up in your face. But had you traded Sam Girard for Matt Duchesne at the time, that would have been great. So you yeah. you have you have a first round pick that is a key part of the team right now. The same thing with 2015. Yakov Trenin, Tommy Novak, Alex Carrier. You have three pieces right there that are that are key parts of the fabric of this team. That's why they're not in the top five and the other two are. I get that four-year stretch is pretty important to determining David Poyle's success as a drafter. But 2017 and 2018, you have nothing to show for it. At least 2015, 2016, you have at least one player from both of those classes that's oh, on yeah. the right now. No, no, no. I completely agree. I think those two are, are, are significantly better. Uh, I just think it's it's... Drafting Ellie Tolvin was not the bad decision. That wasn't the mistake. That was an ex- that was an excellent decision by David Poyle. So it was a great draft pick in my it, like by definition in my mind. Let's go to next on your list. It was, it was a good draft pick, but the totality of the class after that is what That's weighed true. it down. That no, that part is absolutely true. Two thousand seven is next on your list, and this is where I think it's more hurtful to the franchise when like every pick is just bad, and that includes high value picks. So we already mentioned Jonathan Blum. 23rd overall pick, only played 110 games total in the NHL, total bust. Second round pick, Jeremy Smith, 10 games in the NHL, bust. Nick Spalling did play almost 300 games for the for the Preds as a second round pick, but didn't do a whole lot. And then your third round pick played one game in, in the NHL, Ryan Thang. And then every single... the finals of our name bracket, though. Yeah, that, that's true. And then two fourth rounders didn't play a single game in the NHL. So you had two fourths, a third, two seconds, and a first. In 2007, a very critical year, and you got largely nothing out of a first, two seconds, a third, and two fourths on top of you know a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh that didn't give you anything either. So like to me, when you have that many high value assets and you whiff on all of those, like that's a worse draft class than the one where you didn't have any first, second, or third round picks, and then you whiffed on a bunch of fourth, fifth, and sixth rounders. So like I, I would have 2007 probably at number two, but like that's just that's just how I would evaluate it and look at it. Not like you did you did a different exercise. Yeah, I think it's just a difference of opinion of what what we were evaluating, what we we're actually right. actually looking at. And I put this class in there too. Jonathan Blum was really bad. Nick Spalling was okay. Uh, he, he served a role for a few years. Andreas Thurston, I think he played like one or two games, and that was it. Um, and I and I look at that that 2017 draft class or that sorry 20, 2007 draft class, and I get what they were going for with Jonathan Blum, but like I said. Michael Backlund was picked the pick after him, two picks after that, David Perron. And I just look at some of the caliber of players that were taken later on in that draft class. P.K. Subban, Wayne Simmons, Jamie Benn. That's why I have this one ranked as high as I do, because you didn't you didn't go after any of those guys that eventually became all-stars. And, and all you have to show is basically the contributions Nick Spalling gave you, because Ryan Thang, Ben Ryan, Mark Santarelli... Yeah, Adi Engren, none of those guys really contributed at all. So I think the the whiffing on Jonathan Blum kind of put this really high up there and then just not hitting on anyone else other than the, the little bit that Nick Spalling did kind of so solidified it for me. Spalling scored 40 goals in five seasons as a Predator. Otherwise, a, a, a first round pick, two twos, a three and two fours. Uh, that six, six draft picks did combined nothing. Other than the forty goals by Nick Spalling in five seasons, that that to me is a complete waste. Yeah, of, they, they of, had of, a com- of assets. They had a combined hundred nine points in four hundred and thirteen games for the Predators that entire class. Absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. Um, I the other ones like I, we can we can have another. You had uh, I think you had O two on here as as like honorable mention as well. Honorable which, mention, yeah, with Upshaw and Brendan Segal and Mike McKenna. That's pretty bad class, dude. <laughs> That's a pretty bad class. Caleb it is, but, but also my number my number five class was the 2011 class with Magnus Helberg, oh, Salamaki, right. and Chase Belizzi. Those were the, the three most important players out of there. And I put them on there because they accounted for a combined 27 points in 167 games. Helberg made one start and he gave up like four or five goals. It just it looked really <laughs> bad. And again, it's one of those, it was one of those years where they didn't have a first round pick. If you're not picking until the second round, you better make damn sure your second rounder is going to amount to something. But you had Helberg, Salamaki, Josh Shala, Garrett Noonan, Simon Carlson, Chase Belizzi, and Brent Andrews. None of those guys contributed anything except for Salamaki. And I did, I did try to point out that Salamaki was a little bit underrated as a, as a defensive uh, forward, 380 hits, 98 block shots, but 
that would have been great for if John Hines was the head coach, not no, that, was that coach. That that's a total waste of a class uh, as well. Again, Mika Salamaki uh, only 167 total NHL games, and that is, you know, again not a productive like that. That's a the fact that they don't have like I would have them in the top five as well, absolutely. But again, didn't have a first round pick, so that's a, a, a part of the the issue there. Um, again, you said t- we have 2010 on this list as uh, a group. Uh, this is Austin Watson with the first round, but he did he was a part of the Cup team, I guess. Anthony Boteto played. Uh, you know, some time in the NHL, but largely they didn't get anything out of a third, a fifth, a couple of sevenths in 2010. Uh, again, I think the 99 class, even though Martin Ered is in there, they wasted so many draft picks uh, on basically nothing. And, they and did, so I, yeah. I would put 09 in there. Um, 01, and I look, and I look at the, the 2010 draft class. I don't, I gave it a lot of consideration too, because they, Took Austin Watson, number 18. And then you look at some of the guys that were taken not long after him. Kevin Hayes, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Brock Nelson, all became all-stars. You had Justin Falk that was an all-star defenseman in the second round. Like there's, they missed on a lot of talent. And I feel like they, they swung big on Austin Watson because of the potential. And I think that's what got David Poyle into trouble. We saw it with Colin Wilson, Austin Watson, a bunch of other players that they, they took big swings on potential and it didn't work out. That's kind of scary if you're a Preds fan because that's basically all Barry right. Trotz has been saying all offseason. You just kind of hope that Barry Trotz's talent evaluation skills are maybe a little bit better than David Boyle's. All right. Uh, let's be some let's do positive stuff here. Go to Jasper's, by the way, where they're always positive. Please go to Jasper's free parking. Great, great everything. All right. Top five draft picks real quickly before we get to draft classes. This is not going to be hard to do. <laughs> yeah. So. so I got I got number, number one. one. Pe- Number one, Pecorine. Number two, Roman Yossi. Number three, Shea Weber. Number four, Ryan Suter. Number five, UC Saros. And those are five of the six all-stars that David Poyle has drafted with the Predators. Who is the sixth? That's Seth Jones? Seth Jones. Okay. Okay. All right. So uh, 200. I don't, I don't think anyone has a problem with Rene at number one. Leads no. the franchise in everything. There's a damn statue for him. He's the yeah. first player with number retired. I think two and three is interesting because you could obviously debate, go back and forth between Yossi and Weber. And and it's again, I, I would have no problem if you would if you were to say you want Weber two, Yossi three. I do think when Yossi retires, he will have had the better career. He also won a Norris, but Weber was up for the Norris pretty much every year. Like Shea Weber was Nashville Predators hockey from like 2009 to 2000, whenever it was he was traded. Like when you when you ask someone that that was a hockey fan during that time, you told them about the Nashville Predators, like Shea Weber, they immediately knew who he was. So I have no problem if you want to put Weber at three and Yossi or Weber at two and Yossi at three. Okay. So Pecorine, 258th overall in the eighth round, obviously the greatest player in franchise history. I have no issue with the debate at two or three. Roman Yossi was the 38th overall pick. Shea Weber was the 49th overall, overall, overall pick, both second round picks, the two best defensemen in franchise history, over 800 games for Roman Yossi, over a thousand games for Shea Weber, both potential hall of famers, right? Like, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't have a problem with that. Ryan Suter is, I, I know fans have like this weird thing about Ryan Suter and they hate him. I, I think Ryan Suter is one of my favorite Nashville predators as a pure fan of hockey that's ever been drafted by this team. Now it was seventh overall. So you had to make sure it was good, but he's played almost 1400 NHL games uh, and is also probably a hall of famer. So I think I'm, I'm good with, with, with Ryan Suter there. Um, I think we can get into a bigger debate on on the last one, though. Uh, I think th- there's a lot of names that I think we could have di- discussions about. So um, I think when you pick Ryan Ellis at 11, you have to pick a good player. So you don't get like it's not as much value, right? Picking Fiala at 11, it's not much value. Victor Arvidsson at 112th overall in the fourth round. That's some incredible value. I'm going to Matias Ekholm in the fourth round. 102nd overall pick 2009 that's something well, I think that's the that's the difference in our criteria you're going best value picks I'm going best overall players yeah sure no no question I mean uh, sure and and I think here's the one that I would ask though because I think this is interesting because not only was he is he sixth all-time in Predators history in total games played as a draft pick by David Poyle but he was a seventh round pick 230th overall who also netted you James Neal, which means Patrick Hornquist was a pretty damn good draft pick. One of the best draft picks that David Poyle ever made, in theory. Yeah, I, I agree with your point. And I, I would say Arvidsson and, and Hornquist were are definitely honorable mentions. If I were to take Saros out of the five spot, the only and Ellis too, the only player that I would 
that I would be okay with moving in there would be Matias Ekholm. I agree with that. I would also, by the way, I would, I'm okay with Saros being at five because in fact, I think you could put him ahead of Suter, frankly, like uh, the 99th overall pick. I the mean, only reason a, I didn't do that value. is because is because he's only played a handful of years. I, th- that's, I think that's true. That's true. I think you give him three or four more years. I would put him above. I, I'd probably put him above Suter next year. I don't think you can move him into the top three though until probably his career is over and we see what he did compared to what Pecorino did. How about uh, ninth round pick, nineteen ninety eight, two hundred thirtieth overall, Carlos Scrastens, two eight hundred thirty two games played. Uh, I think he played almost 300 games for the Predators. So uh, there's some there's some value in there. But is he a better player than some of these other guys? No, he's not. No, he's not a better player. Absolutely not. I mean, if you're talking about just pure ability, I mean, Seth Jones is maybe the most talented player that David Boyle's ever drafted. <laughs> yeah. And then that, and that just kind of fell into his lap because during during that draft year, they were actually targeting Alexander Barkov, and it was just assumed yeah. the Avalanche were going to take Seth Jones, and then you had Jonathan Drouin and Nathan McKinnon. The Barkov was who the Predators wanted, and Seth Jones just kind of fell into David Poyle's lap. I'm, I'm looking at this list, and it doesn't take you very long of games played to get to Ellie Tolvin, and that's bad. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. it's bad. Cody Franzen was a pretty good draft pick, but third, third round, they, they obviously got rid of him. They you liked him so much, they they acquired him twice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you mentioned Cody Franzen. Uh, I mean, sorry, uh, Colton Sissons as a second-round pick has been a 500-game player for this team. That's a pretty good value pick there. But it's pretty – It's I mean, listen, it's pretty – Craig Smith, frankly, 98th overall, 853 games played. He's 200-goal scorer in his career. That was a, a, a pretty solid draft pick, pretty good value. I think it's hard to argue with the top four and then probably five with Soros. I think it's pretty easy. Uh, you can send us your list, though, if you want to send us your list. I, go, go for it. I don't think there's any argument in the top three. Uh, so I yeah. think it's interesting. All right. So let's get to top classes now. You go ahead and lay out who you have as the top classes. And we've talked about a lot of these players before, so we don't need to rehash all that. But my number one class, the 2003 class, headlined by Ryan Suter. It was the first draft that Nashville held so so or hosted. So it holds a little bit of sentimental value for, for a lot of the fans. But... Your, your big, your notable players, Ryan Suter, Kevin Klein, Shea Weber, uh, Alexander Solzer, I think was a third round pick. He had, he did a little bit in the NHL, but those three guys kind of headlined uh, the draft class. They were the foundation of, of, of the Predators defense for a while. So many all-star appearances between Suter and Weber. They were arguably the best defensive pairing in the NHL for a number of years. Um my number two class is the 2009 well, hey, class. Just, let, let me let me jump in on each one of these as you go down because I okay. I, it's hard to argue with this one because this is what it, what I was talking about earlier when I evaluate like you have to do well with your high assets in a draft, and I would say that's probably first and second rounders, maybe occasionally your third rounders. Anything you do after that is interesting. Now they had four third round picks in that class and didn't do a whole lot. You mentioned Solzer, but if you have three seconds and a first in the top ten. And you get two Hall of Fame defensemen <laughs> and then Kevin Klein, that is called mastering the the assets that you have. Uh like yeah. you 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 cannot ask for us for any general manager with with a first rounder in three seconds to go get Ryan Suter, Shea Weber, Kevin Klein. Like sure, there was a uh, Glazachev in there in the second round who didn't, you know, who didn't play in the NHL. But if if three of your top four draft picks end up being two of whom are superstars like that. That's the best you can possibly do in a draft class. And it's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And my number two class is the 2009 class, obviously headlined by Ryan Ellis, Craig Smith, Matias Ekholm. And I, I included Gabriel Bork in there too. He didn't have a long stay with the predators, but um, he was, he was, his physicality was a little bit underrated. He, he uh, was very fast. His, his speed and his skating really helped them out in some games. But obviously, it's Ryan Ellis, Craig Smith, and Matias Eckholm and what they were able to do. And I, I look at the rest of the class, too. I think this is, if you're talking in terms of, of playing in the NHL, this was probably their most successful class. Ryan Ellis, oh, yeah. 566 games played. Taylor Beck, 92. Michael Latta, 113. Craig Smith, 854. Or 853. Eckholm, 740. Bork, 413. Like, this is probably their most NHL, the most experienced NHL experience class that they had. Obviously, not everyone uh, made an impact, but Taylor Beck had a, a decent season or two here and there. Michael Latta was traded for Philip Forsberg. Craig Smith was the the model of consistency that you wanted out of out of your second, third line forwards, yeah. and obviously with with Ellis and and Ekholm. It, it's one of the only classes where you're going to have at least four players with over 400 games. 
Like there, yeah. there's, it's, there's no question about that. All right. So I don't, I don't necessarily disagree. This is where I start to disagree a little bit, but go ahead with number three. Number three is a 2008 class. And I know Colin Wilson, seventh overall, you expect a lot more out of him than what you got. He never lived up to the potential, but Roman Yossi in the second round, really, <laughs> I feel like it's hard to argue with that. And I put Anders Lindbach in there too, just because look, his time was short. He had decent success. Um, I believe it was the 2010-11 season. He went 11-5-2 down the stretch when Pecorino was injured and really kind of kept the Predators in the playoff hunt. Um, he was traded to Tampa Bay for two second-round picks that eventually turned into Colton Sissons and Pontus Aberg. Oh, so so nice. you, you trade you trade him and you get back a useful piece in Colton Sissons. Um, but yeah, Roman Yossi is the crown jewel of this class. I don't think anyone would have any any argument otherwise. And when it's all said and done, like Roman Yossi could be the best player in franchise history to get him in the second round was a steal. And that's why I put this class number three, not necessarily because of what Colin Wilson or Lindbach did though. You know, that 12 class is not going to get talked about on either end of the spectrum, but Pontus Aberg, Colton Sissons, Jimmy Vesey, all playing uh, a bunch of games, but didn't exactly work out. Uh, you got, uh, Brendan Lipsick there as well, and then a bunch of guys who didn't play. That 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 class has some, you know, Colton Sissons is a nice piece. Merrick Mazanitz had had a decent year and a half yeah, stretch for Predators. Yeah, he won true. his NHL debut against the Chicago Blackhawks in a game that they dominated. I was there for that. All right, so let's go to the next one. I think it should be. I think this one should be number uh, number three. But go ahead. So number four, I have the 2004 class headlined by Alex Radulov and Pekarine. Obviously, Pekarine, just like the Roman Yossi situation, he makes that class. Um, but you you had a couple other guys that, that made Mike Santarelli played 406 games in the NHL, didn't really do a lot with the Predators. Uh, Yanni Nascala, he played six games. So really only four players actually yeah. made it to the NHL. But I mean, Alex Radulov, he was only here for two seasons, but he, he flashed that top six potential. He, and so many fans are always saying, what if he would have stayed and didn't go yeah. to the KHL? He set the, the franchise scoring record for a forward, uh, for a rookie forward. Um, he did a lot of good things, even though he was only here for two years, but obviously Pecorine set every record, every franchise record. Like we said, he has a statue, his jersey's retired, won a, won a uh, Norris trophy. Like there's, there's nothing more you can say about Pecorine. He yep. honestly, his, his, his accolades, I would be okay with swapping this out with number three. Okay. Um, and I like this. I like the next one as well. 2013 Seth Jones, UC Saros. I mean, yeah. that, that I think you could argue that's number three as well. Like that si similar, right? Like superstar first round pick and then elite level goaltender later in the draft. Yeah. And Jonathan Diaby was their third round pick and there were high expectations for him. And he just flamed out Felix Gerard, Emil Pedersen, Wade Murphy. There's a lot of other guys that didn't that didn't didn't end up panning out. But Seth Jones, 730 games in the NHL, Saros 286. I mean, Saros could conceivably be a Vezina Trophy finalist for the next seven years. Seth Jones, all-star defenseman. Yeah, he's playing for the Blackhawks now, but he did have a couple of good years in Nashville before he went to Columbus. And ultimately, he brought you back Ryan Johansson, which got you to a cup. I did factor I, that a little bit in there as well. So I, I think now that I look at it, I think I might lean Jones and Saros versus Rattleoff and Pekka just because I think Jones brought you back Johansson, which leads to the cup. Saros is not yet anywhere close to Pekka, but he's on a path to get to Pekka-ish type of career here. Should he be here long enough? Uh, so I think you, to me, I would have those two. And then I, it's hard to value to evaluate the the Yossi trade. I mean, you're right. I mean, Colin Wilson played 500 games in a National Predator sweater. It's hard to, and you get Yossi out of the deal. Like that's those three. I think are really difficult to to analyze. Let me ask you a question before you get into some of the other ones, real real quickly. 2000, you got Scott Hartnell at almost 1300 games first round pick matt hendricks played 600 games as a fifth round pick and then in 2001 you get dan hamus with your first round pick again 1200 games and then jordan tutu plays 700 games so you got it with your first round pick in those two draft classes you got hartnell and hamus guys that played for a very very long time both of whom came back to the team and then you got another guy that played 600 plus games tutu obviously doing a lot more of that in nashville than hendricks did it's just two players, so it's, it can't be considered among the best classes, especially in 2000 when you like whiff on your second and third and two third round picks. But what do you make of hitting on your first rounder and then also adding a 600 plus game player later in the draft? 
Yeah, I think that's what you want when you're a general manager. Um, yeah. You want you want to hit on your first round picks, and you want at least quality a quality player in the second, third, fourth round, where wherever it is. And I mean, look, it's, they're not bad classes. Dan Hamuse, I wouldn't, I don't think people are going to ever say that he was a Ryan Suter, Shea Weber caliber right. defense, but he was a solid defenseman. And Jordan Tutu is beloved by the fan base, but he was he was basically. He was basically the guy that would go out there and punch the other team in the face when they needed a spark. He wasn't really a scorer. He wasn't super sharp defensively, but he was he was someone you rooted for. And I get that. Scott Hartnell, I feel like his best years didn't happen in Nashville. They happened in Philadelphia. And then yeah. Matt Hendricks, 600 games. Yeah, like he, he had the longevity, but he didn't really do much. In those 600 games, he scored 116 points. He wasn't, he wasn't really a difference maker. So I think that's the difference between those classes and the other classes that have two players like Seth Jones and UC Saros, Radulov, Rene, and stuff like that. Who, who is the – how about this? Of all the players that David Poyle has drafted ever, who has scored the most NHL points? Do you have the answer? Because I don't. I, I, I do. I do. I do. Um, if I'm guessing off the top of my head, oh gosh. Um, <laughs> well, you know, uh, you should know how many points David Legwan has. Yeah. Um, it's close. He's number three. Is it? Is it Yossi? Yossi's number four, six hundred one, because he's going to pass Legwan next year. Ryan Suter, number two, six hundred sixty-four points. Scott Hartnell, number one, <laughs> 707 points all time. Oh, wow. Also, the most goals scored ever by any player drafted by by David Poyle. Number one, Scott Hartnell, 327. This is where it get this is where the, the last take here is, of course, the obvious one. Elite drafter and evaluator of goaltending and defense talent. Could not draft a goal scorer in 25 years. So let's let's go through yeah. the list here. I will, I will say David Poyle was better at using draft assets and draft draft capital and draft picks to trade than he was actually drafting them. I, well, I think for forwards, yes, I disagree for de- the defensemen. I mean, you, I mean, Suter, Yossi, Weber, Ekholm, Ellis, Jones, you know, like it's, it's Hamus. There's a long list of elite defensemen and goaltenders. But here, here's here's the here's the the goal scoring production that they got. Scott Hartnell, number one all time. 327 NHL goals drafted by by David Poyle. Patrick Hornquist, number two all-time, 264 goals drafted by David Poyle. David Legwan at 228, number three. Shea Weber, <laughs> number four. So a defenseman, 224 goals. Craig Smith has scored 200 career goals. He, of course, drafted there. Martin Erat, 176. Victor Arvidsson, 173. You see where I'm going with this. Roman Yossi, 158. Kevin Fiala, 147. Alex Radloff, 144. So Kevin Fiala at 147 goals is 10th all-time amongst all David Poyle draft picks. There's going to be a handful of players that uh, David Poyle drafted that most of their success didn't come with the Predators. Well, I'm just saying, yes, all these guys, most of their success came outside of the Predators other than the defensemen and David Leguan. (laughs) And maybe, I guess, Martin Erat would count. But once like, once we know how the last three or four draft classes pan out, though, I think that will change because I think if you're if you're looking at Evangelista and Larue and Kemmel and Matthew Wood and players like that, I think I think that perception of David Poyle might change. It sucks he's not going to be around to see it though. Here, here's here's how here's here's the fourteenth highest scoring forward ever drafted by David Poyle. So top fifteen. Well, excuse me, top fifteen highest scoring player drafted. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's eighth, the eighth highest scoring forward that that, <laughs> that David Poyle ever drafted. Jimmy Vesey, eighty-three goals. That's just really sad. <laughs> it's this like it's not new information. It's not rocket science. We know David Poyle's evaluation as a drafter: great on defense, great goaltending, can't draft a forward. But again, like Shea Weber, Roman Yossi, and Ryan Suter are all in the top fifteen all-time goal scorers that David Poyle has ever drafted. Colton Sissons is almost is like is up there. <laughs> Ryan Ellis is up there. Seth Jones is in the top 20. Jordan Tutu's in the top 20 goal scorers drafted by David Poyle in their careers. Not in, in Nashville, but all time. So, I mean, he's done. He's listen. He rattle off Fiala, Arvidsson, Craig Smith. He had a nice little run there, right? <laughs> yeah, From, there was a couple of people couple picks in there that worked hornquist was 05 uh craig smith was 09 you know arvidson 14 fiala 14 
two great ones in that 2014 class. Yeah, if you just remove the 2014 draft class, Arvidsson and Fiala, it, it, there's not a whole lot of uh, guys who scored a lot of goals in the NHL that David Poyle has drafted. But again, not rocket science at all. So go to Jaspers, everybody. Please go hang out. Um, you got to watch the, the soccer match on Saturday night, the League Cup with Messi in town. Make sure you're going to Jaspers to check that out. Of course, great parking. Uh, unlike Jodas Park, free parking at Jaspers. Uh, go check it out. Should be a great place to watch all that stuff. You got Titans games, college football games coming up. Jaspers is your spot. They got bingo on the second and fourth Thursday of every night. So go check out bingo uh, as well. Uh, Michael, where can people find you and read all the work and follow along in our David Poyle evaluation journey? Yeah, you can get to me on Twitter slash X at MG Sports underscore. You can read all my work at Nashville Hockey Now. Also on the Nashville Hockey Now Twitter and Facebook pages as well. David Poyle content coming out the next couple weeks. We're also going to be cranking out some other great offseason stories as we just kind of sit and wait for the regular season to begin. There you have it. For Michael Gallagher, I am Braden Gall. Thank you for listening. Go to Jaspers. Please rate, review, subscribe, share the show. We do really, really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. This has been the Gold Standard right here on the 440 Sports Network.